It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to jump right into it with the quote of the day. It's perseverance. That's the key. It's it's persevering for long enough to achieve your potential. That quote is by Lynn Davis, and it was brought to, it was sent to us by Paula R. out of Barstow, California. Paula, thank you so much for that. You got some swag coming your way. If you have a favorite quote, you want to share it with us, send it to us. If we play it on the air, you get some swag. Could be anything from a t-shirt to uh, Apple's, uh, what is it, Applebee's uh, certificates to other stuff. One more time. It's perseverance. That's the key. It's persevering long enough to achieve your potential by Lynn Davis. All right. Well, guys, I'm excited uh, today on the show. I'm being joined by Brent R. Tilson, author of Go Slow to Go Fast, How to Keep Your Company Driving and Thriving in a Fast-Paced Competitive Business World. Is the founder, he's also the founder and CEO of Tilson HR, a national professional employer organization providing a comprehensive suite of business solutions to help businesses grow and thrive. Brent. R. Tilson, welcome to Money for Lunch. Bert, thank you. It's wonderful to join you on your show today. Well, I'm glad to, I'm glad to have you here, and, and uh, I, I love the title about go slow to grow fast because I uh, I know in my life I've made a substantial amount of mistakes that have cost me both time and money trying to go fast. It's such a – we all feel like that's the natural thing we do, We, we especially when you think about high-growth businesses. But it's not just in business. It's in every facet of our life, right? We can look right. and see where we make decisions, where we're you know quick to make a decision. We haven't thought through it, and then we pay for that later. Well, it really holds true in business. And when you have companies that are in hyper-growth mode – I mean, it's exciting, you know. People, and I've done it myself. At one time, we were my company's the 11th fastest growing company by Inc. Magazine back when it was the Inc. 500 years ago, and we were just rocking and killing it. But boy, the lessons I learned during those high growth years uh, really taught me lessons that, you know, when you're going so fast, you're you're missing things and you're not planning, and you get way way, as they say, out over your skis and. Uh, boy, when you get way out over your skis, what do you do? You wreck. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, it's not so forgiving so much. So, yep, certainly a, a challenge that we all face. All right, so uh, i, I got to ask you, what was the motivation or the driver to write the book, Go Slow to Go Fast? To grow the fast. Drive, I'm sorry, to grow fast. Oh, that's fine, to grow fast. And it's the – where it started was many, many, many years ago. I'm a, a CPA by education, started off my career at KPMG, Pete Marwick. From there, uh, ultimately started my own CPA firm. I always had this entrepreneurial bug. And what I found working with small to mid-sized companies is that while I helped them with their financial statements and go through all the reporting, what I also recognized there was a big gap in uh, – 
basically companies understanding how to best plan to run their businesses in the future. And there's there's something that was exposed to me many years ago called the, the S-curve life cycle of businesses. And essentially it's performance over time or the axes. And what I recognized as I was studying and learned about this is that's what my clients were going through. They were going through this S-curve life cycle of they would grow and, and then all of a sudden their performance would waver because they'd outpace and what I call the growth ceiling. They hit their ceiling, and all of a sudden they'd bounce off of it, and they'd have service issues and problems and unhappy, you know, drop-in sales, you name it, just these these issues. And so I spent many years developing tools and ideas on how to help these companies understand how to prepare and anticipate these cycles. And over years of accumulation, I've had too many people say, Brent, you got to write a book about this. This is great stuff. Can you get it down on paper so I can share it with my teams? And so that's what I did. It took some energy, but put all those things down on paper. And I've had a lot of people say it's refreshing. It's new. It's a new way of thinking about things. It's not regurgitated stuff from other people. It's uh, ways to simply maybe better understand how to run your business. Yeah, yeah, I love it. All right. So, again, the book is Go Slow to Grow Fast, How to Keep Your Company Driving and Thriving in a Fast-Paced Competitive Business World. I'm going to put a link in the show notes here. It's uh, um, available at Amazon or wherever good books are sold. So let's talk about this. How does an employer strike that balance between wanting to know everything an employee is doing and giving that employee enough freedom to do what they need to do. Trying to get that perfect balance is a challenge. How do you get the leaders and managers of an organization to keep the right balance of not micromanaging versus giving them that freedom to, to work? And what I find is the number one thing is are managers spending that one-on-one time with their direct reports, those people they're working with, to provide consistent feedback at least once a week, even if it's only 10 minutes? Well, that sounds like nothing, but if somebody has 12 people reporting to them, which is kind of a, a you know historically maximum number of people report to a manager, well, you know, you're talking a few hours a week that a manager is trying to incorporate time to really assess employees, how they're performing, and give those small adjustments of these are the behaviors I like, these are the skills that you need to work on, and here's the results we're looking for in the future. And that doesn't happen enough, and, but that's the key. So people who micromanage often are doing it because it's a control issue. They've not given enough clear direction. So I recommend to, to organizations to really make sure they have a really organized goals and objectives that the managers can be consistent in giving one-on-ones on a consistent basis that doesn't become a micromanaging environment. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, you know, my, my thinking was uh, they're probably your employees at first probably aren't going to do it as well or as good as a job as, as maybe as you are, but it's that trade between freedom, uh, leveraging your time, let's say use that word instead or that phrase leveraging your time versus doing it all yourself. And so the, the way you get your employees up to speed is through training and documenting that training and, and things of that nature. And I'd like to get your opinion on this, Brent, but I find that a lot of companies, both, uh, you know, small and, and some that are sizable, really don't have training 
uh, documented training. They, they don't know how to take a, a, an employee from, from you know, the, the, on, uh, the, the, the new hire onboarding process to competent at their job process, right? That's exactly right. And while a lot of the listeners may not be familiar with the return on investment curve that's somewhat of a tool that's used in the investment community, uh, hiring employees and getting the highest performance employees is very much the same as uh, the, the ROI curve, which means that you invest money and you expect a return over time on that investment. Now, when you think about that investment that you make, that's the money you're out of your pocket. It's the time you take to go out and find the employees, make sure you're hiring the right ones, doing all the things, the money you're investing, all the interviewing, and on and on and on. And so it, you would think that companies would recognize that with the amount of money they're spending just trying to attract talent, that they have not taken the time to develop a performance management system and I put it along the five, the five cycles of the employee life cycle, which is finding people, developing, directing, motivating, and retaining. And the idea there is how quickly can I get my employees from the sunk cost I have in acquiring them to break even. And to what you just said, it's not, you're not going to achieve that in a matter of days or months possibly depending on the skill set that they have. It's possible that these individuals could take even up to a year to two years depending on the complexity of the environment. So it's really critical for companies to have this performance management system in place whereby, as you were just saying, they're doing the training. And what's the training based on? Is it skills training? Is it behavior training? Is it how we do things here? So it's really, really important that businesses take the time to create these systems and implement them so that managers know how to manage and how to bring people to their full potential. Sure, absolutely. Let me ask you this kind of a, as a follow-up to, to that uh process, what are the best ways to determine if a prospect uh, that you hired is not going to work out? What, what's the, I don't know, easiest, fastest way that you found to determine if this individual is just not going to work out? The first thing is, are they in alignment with your core values? And many companies uh, haven't invested the necessary time to really understand what that means. But if you think about, you know, raising, for example, having a family and raising children, you know, if if the parents take the time to really say, you know, these are, these are the three to five non-negotiables that we as a family are going to live by. This is who we are. Well, companies are the same thing. It's a living organization, and we all talk about core values, but oftentimes they're fluff words and they don't mean anything, so you can't hire and fire to them. So by having really good core values articulated, then you can develop the interview questions and you can assess these individuals to see if they're going to be a right fit. You know, a great example of Southwest Airlines. We all have heard these stories, but when you think about their culture and the employees, I travel enough on enough different airlines that I know what I'm going to get time and time again from Southwest employee. And if a flight attendant isn't in that be- doesn't behave like I would expect them to, then there's probably a mishire. And that doesn't happen often, but you see it when you do. So that's a very quick way for companies to be very clear and articulate on the front end and then design their interviews around how do we sort those people out. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. And, and I love the idea of, of having some core values, right? And, 
And, it, you know, it could be a very simple thing. I mean, if it's a small company, that's, you know, what are your, you know, what are your core values? What are things that you really cherish in, in somebody that you admire or maybe, I don't know, your, your parents or your spouse or something like that? Let me ask you this. How, you know, because there's a lot out there that, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, a lot of books, a lot of people, speakers. Uh, talking about millennials, and, and now uh, we're in a situation where we have like five generations working together. How have employees employee expectations changed during the last 10 years? What are you seeing? Oh, it's changed dramatically. And we all, we all talked about the generational gaps, and there's a lot of time and money spent on this stuff. I don't. I think there's more to it than just generational gaps. I, I believe that there's some trends and undercurrents that are really changing. And one of the first trends that are out there is technology. And today we all hear about whether you go into a fast food restaurant that no longer has a person at the counter because you walk up to a kiosk and order the food, or you go into and you're now we're buying things you know, online. So you walk into a retail store and it's poorly staffed because they don't have enough volume to come through the door. And you start, so what's happening, the trend of technology replacing those costs because there are more efficient ways to sell and deliver services and products is really an undermining thing to employees and their confidence and their ability to stay in the roles that they have today, maybe three to five or ten years from now. So that's a major trend that's happening. In addition, we have this new really transition of this work-life balance. So you have these pressures of business that we're trying to get, you know, quite candidly, more productivity from fewer people. But these individuals are saying, hey, wait, we need some, some balance here. So that's another challenge that we face. And then if you do go down to the millennial or the younger generation, you know, there used to be a thing that we put our time in. Uh, you know, I knew in my CPA days that in a big eight firm, boy, you know, it's, I'm going to take a career path of 12 to 13, 14 years possibly if I want to stay a partner. And that was just what it was. And today you see people coming in and they want to go straight from entry level to manager to the corner office in, in such fast time that it just isn't logical. So those are some three major trends that I'm seeing happening over the last uh, period of years and going into the future. Yeah. That that is funny though. <laughs> How many people have this weird expectation that I need to be promoted quicker, better, faster, or whatever? Uh, I can't remember who said it, but uh, he said something along the lines that uh, never in his life has he seen um, so many incompetent, ill-prepared people ready to run the company. <laughs> well, and here's what's really interesting about that is when, when we talk about developing a high-performance company, um, the, most people don't know, but right now, in, two, in the fact, in 2018, we'll have to see what the data comes in 2019, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics last year announced that we had the highest number of voluntary quits. Over 40 million people quit their jobs last year to find new jobs. The the and it actually, that's 50% of all the people who leave, more than 50%, the highest amount are voluntarily going. And what's the number one reason employees leave their jobs? Bad managers. Right. So here, 
we are moving people so quickly that they think they're ready to manage. We're putting them in positions to manage. We're not training or developing to manage people. And then we have this huge turnover. Talk about expensive to all of us, and our bottom line is we are not being disciplined as organizations and companies to really understand what we need to do to drive the highest performance. Yeah, that's – you know, and, and it's interesting, too, because when you think of a bad hire and, and, and you mention the, the understaffed retail environment, nothing – hurts your bottom line like an employee who a doesn't want to be there b is poorly trained and c inappropriately interacts with your customer base i mean in other words they just piss off your customer or they just present your company in such a bad way that it you know that it makes the customer not want to do business with your company and man it it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of time for a customer to engage with a, uh, a, uh, a bad employee to say, you know what, these guys have changed too much. I don't think I'm going to give them my money anymore. And, and, you know, the perfect place to experience that is in restaurants. So in my book, Go Slow to Grow Fast, I use a fable of a two leaders of a company, Frank and Susan. And as Frank and Susan are going through this process in the book of me working with them to run this high-performance company – one of the one of the chapters talks about me taking them to a restaurant so that they can experience in one hour what the entire business plan is for a company. And the idea in a restaurant, you know, you walk in, it, it's the branding, it's the outside. You come in, you see what the products are available. You order your products from somebody who's doing a point of service. You, they then go back to manufacturing and assembly, which is the kitchen. It comes back out to you, and it should be a certain quality. And in the end, in that hour, you have an entire life experience of that company's, you know, essentially their brand and their, their business. Well, retail environments are very much the same as restaurants. Restaurants, I think, give us great examples of good and bad. And I think if, if many companies, including retail, would realize and put more energy in, because if, if that waitress is horrible, what are you going to do? You're going to lo- yeah. leave a lower tip or you're going to be unsatisfied. And that's the thing that people talk about. But yet sometimes, and to this point, you end up voting with your feet and you don't go back to the restaurant or the retail store. Or worse, nowadays, they leave a review. <laughs> they do leave a review because now we have the social media who goes out and people even – I mean it can be scarring. And you yeah. see the reviews, and people are trying to understand, hey, how did this happen to my company? Well, you have one bad person who you're allowing through a lack of training and or quite candidly, there's one-on-one conversations that we started off the, the conversation with today about it's critical to give people quick and timely information so they know how they're doing. And if it's not being done, then there's that bad review. And all of a sudden, we all now sadly buy things by how many f- stars. Do you have four out of five stars? If not, we're not talking to you. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's even funnier, uh, in in a sense, uh, is that you know if if you've ever left a review, those review companies encourage you to leave more. And if you leave enough reviews, then you get a badge, and you know you can you can get badges and some you know kind of a, a digital reward for leaving reviews, right? And 
of course, they're not saying leave bad reviews, but they're encouraging, encouraging, encouraging people to leave reviews. And some people tend to leave only negative reviews. Well, and you're, and what's fa- that's actually very fascinating. I had this experience recently. So I, I travel and I'll use the vacation rental by owner, the VRBO yes, um, yes. tool. And what was really, I did not know they did this. This was so fascinating. So I had a great visit. Was out skiing in Colorado. Um, the 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 condo that I rented, it was just wonderful. The service was great, and I was so compelled. I felt like I'm going to write a review because this is really good. Well, I didn't know that. Oh, my good review actually would result in me as I'm continuing to use VRBO because now I'm ranked as one of their better, uh, I guess, if you want to say customers. But also right. then they ranked me in the quality of how I left the home, on and on and on. So all of a sudden, I'm being scored, and I don't even know it. So there's really a two-sided thing that's starting to happen in the world. Is it's not just good reviews and bad reviews, but it's the review on the other side that most of us don't see. And that's a very fascinating thing that we need to be paying attention to. You know what? You're absolutely right, uh, now that you mentioned that, because not only – I mean, I was not aware that uh, VRBO did that um, – uh, is it, yeah, VB, anyway, whatever it's called. Yeah, uh, I'm just using them for the first time. Uh, we just uh, rented a home. We're going to try them out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so uh, I was aware that Uber and Lyft do that, right? So, uh, right. But I think that, you know, what, what kind of – it's a kind of a neat idea that you as a customer – can be rated and, you know, because the reality, just because you're a paying customer doesn't mean you're a good customer, right? Because we all have had good customers and bad customers. And let me tell you, one of the ways to have a, a uh, uh, one of the ways to have a successful business uh, or a thriving business on a fast paced competitive business world is only deal with good customers. And that's key because good customers will are more profitable in the end, and they yes. they're less service, they're less headaches. They they value what you provide, and if you can take out those who are not wanting to be a part of your customer service chain, then you can certainly be a more effective organization. So it's it's a very unique. And the VRBO piece was my experience. It could have been just the company or the the, the person whoever I was running from had their right. own unique way of doing it. But nonetheless, it was through that. Because it was interesting to me how it happened. I thought, wow. So if anybody's going to look at Brent Tilson and say, is he somebody I want renting my house? Yes. You know, and it, do I have to pay a premium on uh, my maintenance and service because I have a history of causing problems? Or no, you're a good credit risk, so to speak, and you can stay. So it's a very fascinating world today. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, so back to employees hiring, firing. What are some of the more innovative ways that you found to retain good talent? The most innovative way, which is sadly she is not that innovative, is companies have to develop their frontline managers. If employees are leaving at a faster pace for any other reason, it's for a lack of quality trained managers. Managers oftentimes, especially frontline managers, end up there because they typically are really good at what they do. They get promoted through the organization, and the next thing we know, through the Peter Principle, they're moved into a management position that they're not prepared for. 
So an innovative thing that companies have to do is develop their managers, help them understand you know, just their emotional intelligence. Do they understand how to lead people? Understand that there's these pressures of, you know, every day people trying to hire their people from them. So employee engagement is critical, but it's going to be done by the frontline manager. It could be the CEO and his, you know, or her, you know, vision for the future, but it's really the, the boots on the street is that one-on-one uh, leadership at the front end not trying to do it with some cute, clever consulting project on the back. Yeah, you know, what's so funny about what you just said was, uh, what's so interesting is I remember in the sales environment, this is where you see a lot of people who are good at sales and they get promoted into management and they're bad at management, right? It's just, you know, they're not good at making the reports and, and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And so they either they either quit, get fired, or they go back to being a salesperson because that's what they were good at. And, and, and I think that just because you're a good salesperson doesn't automatically make you a good manager. You know, it, it's, it's fascinating that, and we're all in this together when it comes to this, but we don't, as, as organizations, even as individuals, some of us have, have done this, we don't have a. We've not gone out and done a good job of understanding our true um, personalities and what drives us and what our skills are. You know, a very common personality test is the DISC profile that many people have heard about. Sure. Well, there are many others as well that, that are out there, but those tools really provide insight into uh, what people are gifted at and the, the skill of a salesperson who has a very high influential personality is not usually the makings of a good manager. But yet, because they're good at that, we think that they're somehow going to be moved over into an environment that completely doesn't fit them. Because I need somebody who's detailed, somebody who understands the emotional intelligence, isn't just over the top on persuasion. And so we as uh, as leaders and managers need to make sure we really help people understand what they're good at, why they do what they do, understand their blind spots, then they can evolve into be talented managers. But we don't typically do that. We just hire for skill, but not the behaviors and what we know that they'll be able to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I've seen it happen so many times. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, today on the show, I am joined by Brent R. Tilson. Uh, Brent R. Tilson is best-selling author of Go Slow to Grow Fast. How to Keep Your Company Driving and Thriving in a Fast-Paced, Competitive Business World. I'm going to put a link to the book uh, here on the show notes, and you can find it also uh, at Amazon or wherever your favorite books are sold. Uh, and We've really been talking about the most, probably one of the most important facets of business, and that is hiring and firing and retaining good old, you know, that, that good old uh, we call it talent, your employees. Um, uh, let me ask you this. When it comes to, I don't know, let's call it uh, management information, what information does management require so it can best direct performance? What's your take on this? The first thing I think that management lacks is all you know being consistent communication that, and I'm going to talk about frontline managers, but I'm going to go all the way up to the very top. 
Okay. Is there a really clear objectives and goals and vision for the organization? What is it we're trying to accomplish this year? And then each of those cascade down from the vision at the top down to the manager. So the manager can tell the employee, this is what good looks like. This is what I expect from you on a day-in, day-out basis. These are now the measurables, smart goals, smart, you know, specific, smart, smart, specific, measurable, measurable. actionable, time-based, all that stuff. Um, people can research smart. They can go out and Google smart goals and see all about it. But by having those smart goals that are all the way aligned, that's the measurements they need. They need to be able to have things that they can say, okay, your percentage error rate has to be this if we're watching for some sort of quality measurements. If it's a satisfaction measurement, okay, how are we measuring satisfaction, but do we have a countermeasure that makes sure that we're not giving away the farm trying to make people happy? So, you know, it's easy to think you make people happy just giving them refunds. Well, that's not really the solution. And so how do, you know, each organization really define those goals, you know, from the very top all the way to bottom so that they can be very clearly articulated? Yeah, yeah, that, you know what – Man, I can't tell you how many small companies and even some fairly big companies where a lot of people simply do not know really what's good and or what's important. There's just – it changes from day to day or uh, it's just not drilled on a consistent basis. Back to what you and I talked earlier about training, that consistent training, it's just, you know, so critically important, but yet so many companies just don't want to invest in that, you know, communication, in that training, in, you know, sitting down and, as you mentioned, figuring out what is your, your uh, core uh, values and, 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 how you know how that's going to translate into the company? And uh, earlier today, I was talking to somebody about who their ideal client is, and, and and so there's these little you know simple things that a lot of companies just don't want to invest a, a little bit of time into it, but the results are so tremendous. The ROI, as you mentioned, are, is so big. And you know we see it time and time again, and. It's kind of, you know, you ask about earlier in the show about, you know, kind of what the driving force behind writing my book. And when I was trying to find a title, I had a number of working titles throughout the process. And finally, it just kind of clicked one day. It's like, oh, I'm just talking about companies really need to go slow because they oftentimes, by going slow, they're able to really think and think not just on one dimension but multiple dimensions because people oftentimes just come to the quick answer and they keep running. Versus say, no, let's ask more questions. Why, why, why? The five whys. Why are we doing the things we're doing? What is it that's going to make this important? And if I get all that right first, then I can be successful. It's like trying to map out a path. If you're doing a, I don't climb mountains, but you hear the people talk about it, how they have to do a lot of planning before they take that first step. Well, it's no different in running a business. You've got to really go slow so you can get to the base camp and you can keep expanding and going, going, going. If they just went straight up the mountain without prepared, then they would fail. Well, businesses yeah. need to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to end on that note. Uh, Brent, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. 
The book, again, is called Go Slow to Grow Fast, How to Keep Your Company Driving and Thriving in a Fast-Paced Competitive Business World. The best-selling author, Brent R. Tilson, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thanks, Bert. I enjoyed it. Good stuff there from Brent R. Tilson. Uh, the book, one more time, Go Slow to Grow Fast. I'm going to put it here in the show notes. I'll put a link to the book. And, you know, the book or the idea of going slow to grow fast is, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's not necessarily a new concept, right? And it's not just for business. I mean, this is, you know, we've heard it all our lives. We have to learn how to crawl before we walk, right? And so, Sometimes when we try to take these shortcuts and we try to jump over certain key factors or indicators, then we screw things up. And sometimes we just got to go slow. Just take the time to figure out what your company is going to be about, how you're going to do the training, how you're going to decide this person is measuring up and this person is not. And you've got to slow down in order to grow fast. I love it. As always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone you know. And as always, thank you so much for being here. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.